from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Good morning. My name is Melissa Trimble, and I am an elder currently serving on the session here at First Presbyterian. Please join me in the call to worship. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One thing I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in His temple. For He will hide me in His shelter in the day of trouble. He will set me high upon a rock. Good morning. Please turn with me in your pew Bible to Luke chapter 13, verses 31 through 35, which can be found on page 72 in the New Testament. Listen for and hear the word of the word of God. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I'm casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the, in the, name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And let us pray. Oh God, may all we say and think and do be pleasing to you. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Throughout this Lenten season and a little bit leading up to this Lenten season, we have been talking about the subject of wrestling with God. Tony Sundemeyer started us off by talking about how Jacob wrestled with this figure in the night and struggled with God and received the blessing, how Jacob even wrestled with his brother Esau. Katie Sundermeyer talked about wrestling with each other in a way that brings harmony. Ann Henley Saunders talked about wrestling with God as Job wrestled with God who came in the whirlwind. And Greg Allen Pickett talked about Peter wrestling with Jesus and us wrestling with the call to feed God's sheep. That's right. Right, Greg? Yeah. <laughs> so when we started talking about this theme of professional wrestling, oops, when we started talking about this theme of wrestling, 
I started thinking, well, this is one of the things I know about because I started thinking about professional wrestling. So what I'm not going to talk about today is, is uh, wrestling that our amateurs, who are some of the top conditioned athletes in the world, say on a high school mat or in the Olympics, in the Greco-Roman or freestyle. I am going to talk about professional wrestling that, that you find on TV in which they are good athletes, tell a story through a match that is scripted with spots that are meant to induce some sort of emotion with a scripted ending. I'm here to talk about pro wrestling that intentionally plays on the audience, trying to get them to cheer or to boo, to be outraged or to be elated. There are prominent wrestlers throughout the decades. By the way, who's ever been to a pro wrestling match? And we'll admit it here. <laughs> come, come on. At 8.30, it was like 35 or 40%. I've been to matches with some of you, so. Back from the 50s with Gorgeous George, who my grandmother watched. Bruno San Martino. Up to today, Hulk Hogan, The Rock, which we were not talking about in our prayer before the sermon. We're talking about pro wrestling, which is the kind that about 200 or 300 yards from here at center stage, right around the corner, is where I started watching wrestling. I learned about Atlanta and about Georgia by turning on WTBS Superstation at 6.05 every Saturday night to watch studio wrestling. And I learned about polyester-clad Georgians shouting with emotion, throwing things at the ring, booing and cheering. And that's what I thought of you all. <laughs> I mean, I was the one watching. There was an album this year by a rock band named The Mountain Goats, which was actually uh, a concept album about wrestling and about a particular Mexican wrestler named Chavo Guerrero. And in one of the songs called The Legend of Chavo Guerrero, the singer talks about the joy that he found turning on the TV late at night. And he says, before a black and white TV, in the middle of the night, I'm lying on the floor, I'm bathed in blue light, with the telecast in Spanish, I can understand some, and I need justice in my life. Here it comes. He says he needs justice, which is the joy, or was the joy for him, of watching wrestling, of seeing good guys get justice over bad guys, and being rewarded in the story that's told in the process. Wrestling is about good guys and bad guys. Good guys have integrity and grit. They'll fight through with determination. Bad guys will cheat and they'll whine and they'll do whatever it takes to get a win. In Mexican wrestling, which is called Lucha Libre, they talk about the bad guys as rudos. You can hear that, rude. You know, that's what bad guys do. They're rude, they're bad. And the good guys are technicos because they follow the rules and do everything technically right. In America, they're called heels and baby faces. Faces and heels. Baby faces, meaning those who are the pretty boys, the ones who do things right. And the heels actually comes from that term that we use about someone that's not very uh, respectful that actually comes from 
Jacob grabbing on to the heel of Esau, cheating his way to get the birthright. Baby faces and heels. Luke 13, 31 through 35, is a story of a headlining match between Jesus and, in this case, Herod. They even have nicknames. Greg focused on the one that Jesus has, Jesus the Hen. There's never been any wrestlers named the Hen. There was one called the Red Rooster who didn't last long. (laughs) Jesus the Hen and Herod the Fox, the sly one, the one who breaks things up and sneaks around. It's a nasty feud. You even hear the Pharisees coming to Jesus and saying something so strong as, Herod's going to kill you. It's a feud between one who wants Jesus dead and Jesus who is not ready to die. One who won't be killed, at least now, on the terms that Herod has set. And so the crowds gather, taunts are made. You can see the drama within this story, and the stage is set. The heel versus the face. So we are in that season of Lent. You can go ahead and put the picture of the wrestlers. Oh, we're not using the screens this morning? We're in this season of Lent, moving our way toward Easter. This is also, Easter is usually right at the end of March, right at the beginning of April. And a similar thing is WrestleMania. This year is WrestleMania 32. And this is the season from January on in which storylines are built up in order to be paid off at WrestleMania. Over 100,000 people will be at AT AT&T Stadium uh, outside of Dallas. So, you know, it's a pretty big movement. You might want to pay attention to it. Things are moving toward that. Everything is done to heighten the tension. There are matches that are leading up to it. Feuds begin. There are beatdowns, the bad guys on the good guys. And there are promos being delivered. Promos in which people are getting others riled up by the way they speak. It's said of pro wrestlers that you can look great, you can do well in the ring, but if you aren't good on the mic, then you'll never make it in the business. The context of Luke 13 is like the road to WrestleMania. I mean, it's a lot more, it's a lot less profane, but it's like it. At Luke 9, 51, Jesus has set his face to go toward Jerusalem. He's turned to go toward Jerusalem, and the tension has ratcheted up. Things are being laid down, the groundwork for what ultimately will happen there. And if you listen to Jesus, it's almost as if he is delivering promos. Even just within the text of the end of chapter 12 and the beginnings of chapter 13 that lead up to what John read for us this morning, you could hear Jesus If you really exaggerated doing this even in a wrestler's voice, I came to bring fire to the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. Do you think I've come to bring peace? You'll be divided son against father, mother against daughter. He says, you are like a fig tree that doesn't bear fruit and you should be cut down. After he's healed on the Sabbath and been called on the carpet for it by the Pharisees, he says, ought a woman who is a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, not be set free, even if it's the Sabbath, promos being delivered. He says, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able. 
Go away from me, all you evildoers, is what leads up to our passage. You evildoers, you heels, you bad guys. Tension-filled promos. Part of the other contexts, or more to fulfill, more to fulfill up the context of this passage, is to understand who Herod, the bad guy, is. This is Herod Antipas, and Herod was a ruler over a small section of this particular part of the world, Galilee, in fact, where Jesus uh, grew up and began his ministry. This is Herod, who was son of Herod the Great, who, according to the Gospel of Matthew, set the edict out to kill all the children under two. The history does tell us that this Herod was ruthless, like many of the leaders. He was a a Jewish leader who uh, was given the power by the Romans, and so needed to be careful of them. According to Luke, this Herod is the one who had John the Baptist killed because John the Baptist condemned a marriage that he had. So Herod is this bad guy, the one who is in the match against Jesus. But we realize that his opponent isn't just Herod. We realize that everyone is beginning to gang up on Jesus. In the road to WrestleMania, they often bring in celebrities, people who uh, can bring more crowds. Mike Tyson has been one of the celebrities. They bring back some of their old ones. Donald Trump wrestled at a WrestleMania once. And they bring these people in, just like our story is bringing more and more people in. Pharisees are coming in, and later on, Pilate is going to be brought in. One who came from the seashores of Caesarea came marching in the opposite way that Jesus marched into Jerusalem. Each step of the way, things are being ratcheted up. More opponents are coming, and the crowd is waxing and waning. Two weeks ago, there was... Uh, a wrestler by the name of Daniel Bryan, who retired. And by the way, Daniel Bryan's real name is Brian Danielson. You know, a lot of people get nicknames in wrestling like The Undertaker or The Rock or The Rattlesnake. This guy went from Brian Danielson to Daniel Bryan, <laughs> which shows that he is an underdog. Daniel Bryan's character and himself is uh, only five foot seven and always was beating the odds. And he became such a fan favorite for being, being the underdog and beating the odds that eventually they had him in front of 70,000 people at the Superdome in New Orleans, defeat two men in one night to become the champion. And he had a chant that you may have seen out there uh, recently as he retired where he goes, yes, and the entire crowd goes, yes, yes. And the, everybody is chanting together, yes, yes, yes. You think having the screens, I was going to try to get you all to do yes, yes, together. (laughs) But he did this in a way that the crowd felt a part of it, felt like something important, felt like they were joining together to celebrate with the underdog and also to lift him up. The term for this uh, underdog and what often happens to them as others are coming down uh, all around them is the face or the baby face in peril. The face in peril. The more the baby face is in peril, the greater the payoff will be when they overcome the peril. Jesus is the underdog in this story. Well, we're told from the very beginning that he's the king who will come and overturn things in the world, but it's certainly not like the king that Herod was or the emperors were. And not only is Jesus an underdog, 
but he's the one who speaks on behalf of the underdogs. This is the gospel, Luke, in which more than any of the others, the least, the last, and the lost are the ones whom Jesus attends to. We hear this underdog moment in Mary's song when she realizes, when she's told that she's going to be one, the one that bears this child, and she sings, he's looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. He's shown strength with his arms, scattered the proud, brought down the powerful, lifted up the lowly. We hear it in John the Baptist who proclaims the way that Jesus is going to be and the way that Jesus is going to follow. And he says, every valley shall be filled and mountain and hill be made low. A reversal, a bringing up of the underdog. And Jesus, as he begins his ministry, as he goes in and reads the scroll in the synagogue, he says, the spirit is upon me to bring good news to the poor. And you can hear the crowd beginning to join in the chant, sent me, to re- sent me to bring release to the captives. The crowd gets louder. Recovery of sight to the blind and let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the crowd goes wild. The underdog in Luke is chosen, not the powerful. The face in peril for the people in peril. Another characteristic of Luke, according to this text, is that he's going to, another characteristic of Jesus, is that he is going to do things his way. He might die. He will die. He will be executed. But it's not going to be now, as Herod has said. He'll do it the way he is supposed to. He'll do it by going to Jerusalem. And Jesus repeats a series of sayings in Luke where he talks about, I must. I must be about my Father's kingdom. I must suffer and die and be raised again. It's somewhat of a determination, somewhat of a a keeping to who he is called to be. It's a recognition that there is a purpose for him and what he's to do. The scripture must be fulfilled, he says. His fate in this story is also referenced in talking about prophets. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is uh, talked about in very similar ways to how prophets are talked to, uh, talked about. His birth is spoken of very similarly to how Samuel, the prophet's birth, was talked about in the Old Testament. And Jesus says that prophets uh, are not killed outside of Jerusalem, which there was a historical basis for prophets being killed in Jerusalem for saying things that they weren't supposed to say by being the underdog in the face of the powers that be. We even know, know that as Luke ends and his story continues in Acts, as the early Christians become prophets who speak the word of God and are killed for what they do. This small underdog wrestler, Daniel Bryan, in his retirement speech, which he actually had on TV, and he did, you know, out of character, he did it as pretty much him, the human being. The crowd kept saying, thank you, Daniel, chanting that. They chanted, please don't go. They chanted, yes, yes, yes. 18,000 people yelling. And it actually brought him, the person, to tears in the middle of the ring. Jesus entered Jerusalem 
in a celebratory moment. He entered, as the prophets, prophets said, he would enter the triumphal entry. And the people chanted, yes, 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 in the words of Hosea, Hosea, exclamation point. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They chanted together. Our kids will reenact this in a couple of weeks here as they walk around with palms in their hands. The chanting, the celebrating, the saying together of something, the feeling good of rooting for the underdog who's coming in and the expectations we have for that underdog. Yet days later, they turned on the baby face and treated him like a heel. Wrestling fans are smart, <laughs> some of us. Uh, some wrestling fans are smart. Um, they will not take a baby face being crammed down their throat. If, if fans are told they're supposed to like a wrestler, oftentimes they'll turn. One of the most popular wrestlers in the world, John Cena, is also one of the most hated. But they say if you're getting a response, you're doing something right. Jesus' response goes from yes to crucify. Crucify, exclamation point. In unison, we do the same. As wrestling moves towards a culmination, matches lead from uh, lesser opponents to bigger and bigger opponents to build up a character. And we know again in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus has faced opponent after opponent. Even as Mary and Joseph went to the inn, it was them being sent out to the stable, them against society in a match. We hear about Jesus one after the other being in matches against Satan as he went in the wilderness and was tempted, being in a match against the Pharisees over and over again, calling him a blasphemer, against Peter, to whom Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, because the match with him is one in which Peter is tempting him to turn heel. But the final match that Jesus is building to is not against Herod or the Pharisees or even Satan. It's against us. Those who say yes and crucify in the same breath because we don't live always the life of yes. We live lives of vengeance, of arrogance and anger, of self-righteousness and rejection of love as the response. But Jesus will wrestle with us. And he's a great opponent. A wrestler by the name of Bret Hart said that the greatest thing a wrestler can do is not hurt his opponent in the ring. Ironically, he got kicked in the head by another wrestler and had to retire. Taking care of one another is what they do for entertainment's sake. Jesus could pin us. Jesus could put us on a hold and make us submit. Jesus could take us to suplex city. But he wrestles with us with an opportunity for us to be changed. He wrestles with us to take care of us so that we may be stronger and find it within how he has made us in order for us to follow him. One after the other, his followers, his disciples, his apostles wrestle with him and the expectations Jesus has of them to the point that Peter is one who preaches in Jerusalem in Acts. Thousands of people are there and are actually baptized and the church begins. 
we can be a part of the yes movement. The Jesus movement in which we join the crowds, take up our cross, and follow him. Connie, I'll invite you up to say the affirmation of faith if you want to make your way up. And as we do so, we're going to stand. We're not going to say yes, 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 but we're going to say something together that we do almost every week. It's a proclamation, and it's one we can do with honesty, recognizing that our unity is the church, is one that builds us up and allows us to be part of Jesus' movement. Let us say together our affirmation of Christian faith by stating together the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated.
with Jesus, not because we're strong, but because we are weak. And he will train us to be his disciples. So may we go in the peace of Christ, the power of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.